Previously on The Fallen. Greetings and welcome to Atlantis, the city in the sea of shit. How long has this been here? I mean, I knew something was up. We'd heard of this illness going round, but we only saw an emergency broadcast this evening that declared that there was an outbreak. It started small. Villages and towns, entire populations succumbing to the dead. And then the cities, Glasgow, Aberdeen, Edinburgh. Made the mistake of walking up the main roads. You can't get moved, there's deed everywhere. Grab Jackie. There'll be a garden. Davy and Tommy were helping to go there. Christ. The sun had all but set now. The impressive structure silhouetted in the darkness. Danny sighed. Her life had changed so quickly, and now it seemed. There was no way out of this nightmare. The sun had now completely set over the community, plunging it into darkness, lit only by the light from the crackling fires within the barrels and some fairy lights which hung loosely around some of the buildings. Pete and Danny were standing outside of the pub listening to the painful cries from the man within. Anger bubbled up inside of Pete. He needed answers, and he needed them now. It didn't take them long to get to the barracks. The large building stretched out in front of them, the rusted walls wrapped around in the shape of a large octagon. The walkway stretched to the ramparts, a few guards patrolling, guns in hand, the glow from their cigarettes shining like fireflies in the dull light. Pete waited for the guards at the front door of the barracks to let them pass. They both looked the trio up and down, a smug look on their shadow-drenched faces. Pete shook his head and banged on the door once, the loud thump echoing through the dull night sky. Before a voice could respond, Pete barged into the office, Danny and Cal following close behind. The office was large, with a heavy oak desk taking up most of the space. An ornate bookshelf covered the right wall, filled to the brim with books that Danny was sure the sergeant never read. It reminded her of her granddad's study, full of books he had collected over the years, just to have them, had no intention of reading them all. On the left wall were old pictures of Edinburgh, framed maps dating back to the 1800s. In one of the frames, Danny noticed the skeleton of a rat pinned spread out. Its feet were pinned to the board, it showed all of its little bones, something fascinating about it, but also kind of disturbing. The room was filled with a thin haze of cigar smoke, the acrid smell filling their nostrils, causing Cal to screw up his face. Sitting at the desk, they could see Sergeant O'Connell with his feet on the wood leaning back in his chair, a lit cigar in his hand and a small glass of whiskey in the other. From the left corner of the room was the distinct sound of classical music crackled through an old record player, low but predominant. What a pretentious prick, Danny thought to herself as he watched the siblings step into the office. Before he spoke, he placed a finger in the air, bobbing his head to the music, giving it half a smile. Oh no, it's fine. You just let yourself in. It's not a problem. Peter, I'm glad you made it back. Yes, sir. And I took the girl and the boy with me. The sergeant took a large drag from his cigar and laid it down on a glass ashtray, swinging his legs round and onto the floor, and stood up walking over to Pete, smiling a sickeningly sly smile. He patted Pete on the face like a mafia boss, about to teach someone a lesson. He held his face in his hands, getting closer to it. 
His breath was toxic with cigar smoke and whiskey. He gave him a stern look. You should have come to see me straight away, Kirkman. Do not leave me waiting again. Paused for a moment and patted him quite hard. He looked and noticed Danny and Cal staring at him, their faces twisted with confusion. Well, my lad, it's good to have you back. You can return to your duties. The sergeant turned away and went back to sit down at his desk, picking up a cigar on the way, taking a big drag. Sir, we need to talk. I've just heard something disturbing. Something about a wall on the border. What the hell is going on? The sergeant finished his whiskey and picked up a crystal bottle and started to pour some more whiskey into his glass, the ice cubes clanging together as the brown liquid rested in it. He closed the bottle and set it back down on the table. He paused and looked at the glass, and then back at Pete. You can return to your duties, Mr. Curtin. Sir, what is going on? He lowered the glass on the table, removed a cigar from a small metal box in his pocket and sparked the match and lit the cigar, his eyes illuminated from the dull orange light. A stern, disturbed look. The corner of his mouth twitched as he stared at his subordinate. He let out the thick plume of smoke, the room getting even more hazy. He leaned back in his chair, the leather squeaking underneath his weight. You forget yourself, Mr. Kirkman. This is your first and final warning. You are on a need-to-know basis. Quite frankly... You do not need to know. With all due respect, I think we all deserve to know. If you know something, you need to tell us. The sergeant stared intently, his face now contorting with anger. He slammed the glass on the table and the whiskey sloshing out onto the wood. He stood up, pointing at Pete, his finger straight as an arrow, white-hot anger exploding into his face, the veins in his neck like snakes wriggling around inside of him. I do not need to tell you anything! I... I'm your superior, and if I feel you are privy to any information, then you will be the first to know, believe me. Until then, do your fucking job, and you will do as you are told. Do you understand me, Peter? Sarge, come on. Do you understand me? Sir. Yes, sir. The sergeant shook his shoulders and clapped his hands together loudly, a big grin plastered on his face. A complete contrast from the past few seconds. Now, with all that awkwardness over with, Peter, please take, um... Danny, and this is my little brother Calvin, or Cal. Please take Cal to the creche to be looked after. Uh, no. He's staying with me. He's not going anywhere. Take him to the creche. That is an order. I said no. He's staying with me. Well, Miss... Cunningham. Miss Cunningham. Let me tell you something. You do not come into my office and tell me what to do. Do I make myself clear? I'm sorry, but he's not going anywhere without me. (sighs) Peter, please take him away. We need to film Miss Cunningham and how things work here in Atlantis. Pete took Cal by the shoulders and led him out of the room to a chorus of protesting from the five-year-old. You have no right touching my little brother. Hush now. Here in Atlantis, Miss Cunningham, we have rules, and we expect every resident to follow said rules. You see, if you don't have rules, you get anarchy. And what does anarchy lead to, Danny? Anarchy leads to antisocial behaviour, and we cannot be having that here in a little community. In this time of uncertainty, we need to work together 
as a team. Work as a, a well-oiled machine. Now, if a cog in said machine does not work or move with the rest of the cogs, then the machine won't work at all now, will it? So, we found you and your brother in Morningside, did we not? Yes. And, and, and what were you doing in that apartment full of infected? We lived there with my mum and auntie. It was my aunt's apartment. One minute we were watching TV, the next thing we know those things just barged in. And all hell broke loose. The whole building was infested with the dead, Danny. It's curious how your mother, you, nor your auntie, were able to hear them, or even smelt them. I don't know what to tell you. We didn't really have much to do with the neighbours. Clearly. So why were you still there? Did you not try to escape? I mean, the whole city fell down around you overnight, and what, you didn't notice? What has that got to do with anything? Everything. You see, we look for survivors, and we bring them here, to to uh, our little piece of paradise, if you will. Now, we do not judge people for their circumstances, but I'd like to know how they got into their situation, and, and what we can do to aid them further. Now, for you and your little brother to find safety here in Atlantis, I need you both to be on board, and that means answering my questions. Understand? Fine. My dad, he died of this supposed illness that people were getting. So we moved up here. Left behind our old life to live with my auntie. Everything was fine before they were both... Before they were both eaten by whatever those things are supposed to be. And what do you think they are, Danny? I don't know. Zombies? What makes you say that? Oh, come on. People with their heads cut open... Their innards hanging out of their bodies, arms missing. Look, in the short time since leaving that apartment, I've seen shit I thought only possible in movies. If it's not zombies, then what the hell is it? You tell me. We don't know what it is, hence why we were incredibly ill-prepared. Now, with your mother and your auntie dead, what was the plan? What were you to do if we hadn't come to save you? I... I don't know, okay? I, I hadn't thought that far ahead. Get Cal somewhere safe was obviously going to be my number one priority. Well, you don't need to worry about that right now. You will be safe here with your little brother. The walls of Atlantis are secure, safe and impenetrable from the dead. You have my word. Now, I will have someone make up a tent for you and your little brother in the residential quarter. Take some time. Then get used to it, and then we'll find you something to do. Um, a job, as it were. And am I supposed to say thank you now? Well, it would be a start. Look, I know you are upset, and I completely understand why. But I implore you to get on board. Help us to help you, Danny. I mean, you want your brother to grow up in a safe, secure environment, don't you? Of course I do. But that's... Well, that's impossible now. Nothing is impossible, Danny. I mean, if you genuinely want something, anything is possible. I want my parents back. But that's not possible, is it? Well, no. I, uh, I suppose not. It was, uh, it was um, silly of me to suggest that. And uh, my apologies, Danny. Look, your tent will be ready for you. Sleep well, and uh, 
We will see you in the morning. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Danny left the barracks to be greeted by one of the guards who was standing at the door. He nodded at her and led her from the building and through the central square, through a chain-link fence and into what they called the residential quarter. It comprised of a sea of tents that stretched out in front of Danny, all different sizes, colours and conditions. Some just made out of pieces of tarpaulin attached to a couple of poles, other were actual tents made of canvas towering above the rest. He pointed at one that was off in the distance, but she wasn't sure which one he pointed at. She turned to see where it was, but he was gone, heading back through the gate. Great. Thanks for that, Danny thought to herself as she started to make her way through the sea of tents. As she walked, she was making sure not to step on one of the poles or materials for fear of pulling them down. As she passed, she noticed people laying on blankets, playing music, playing cards. Some were smoking and drinking, others were sleeping. There was a strong stench of body odour that hung in the air, thick and acidic, made Danny want to retch a vast contrast to the relaxing smell of burning wood and cooked fruit from the entrance. She was desperate to see Cal again, to make sure he was okay. It was weird, she thought. One minute she couldn't care what he was doing or where he was, but now, now that was just in the forefront of her mind. He was her life, her reason for living, her everything. Despite herself, she loved the little guy and would do anything to protect him. After several minutes of weaving through the makeshift town, she heard her name being called. A soft, sweet voice. A voice that once filled her with dread and anger, now filled her with joy. She turned to see Cal waving from the entrance of a larger tent. Tarpaulin draped over some rusted poles, but tied down by crude pieces of rope. The tent was basic, made up of a camp bed and a sleeping bag on the floor. A small metal cabinet against the wall with two drawers and their bags had already been brought in. A lantern hung from the ceiling, the flames from within flickered against the tent, casting it into a warm yellow glow. She rushed over, picked him up and gave him a tight cuddle, kissing him on the cheek, much to his disgust. A dark rain cloud had been hanging over the community all night and now decided to open, allowing heavy rain to cascade down on the dead city. Pete stood in the rain as Danny ushered Cal into the tent to protect him from the rain. He had a half-smile on his face and his hands were in his pockets. He looked like a nervous schoolboy standing outside the headmaster's office. He's a good little guy. He's really well behaved and the ladies at the crash love him. Thank you, Pete. Oh, and... Pete... Thank you for saving us. You're welcome. Pete stepped out of the tent and looked back and watched Danny cuddle Cal, ruffling his scruffy hair and tickling him. Pete smiled, his heart beating a hundred beats a minute, a lump in his throat and his palms were sweaty. Welcome to Atlantis, Danny Cunningham. Pete slowly walked back through the rain to the pub. Several hours passed and Danny lay on the hard floor while Cal slept in the bed next to her, his heavy breathing the only sound she could hear. As she lay on the floor, her eyes watching the dancing flames inside the lantern, her mind started filling with thoughts of the day, thoughts of her mother, her auntie, her father. A tear began to roll down her cheek, and she thought to herself, <sighs> What a fucking mess. I know you're upset, and I understand. 
What exactly does he think he understands about me? How could that stuck-up, know-it-all jackass have any idea what I'm feeling right now? Talking down to me like I'm a damn child. They're dead. Nothing's going to change that. They're just gone. Dad, Olivia, Mom. Oh, God, Mom. I should have... I should have done something. Damn it! If I'd just been stronger, I could have saved her. And now all Cal has is me. He's never going to know Mom or Dad. We're never going to see them again. Never hear Dad's strong voice. Or be smothered by Mom's fussing and caring. I just hope she knew. We argued so much, but I loved her. I loved them all. I just... I just couldn't say it, and... And now I never can. <sighs> okay, Danny. You gotta pull it together. You have to stay strong. You have to fight. And you have to protect Cal no matter what. <sighs> well, I guess this isn't the worst place we could be right now. <laughs> and Pete. Well, Pete's not the worst person to be rescued by. Several weeks passed and Danny and Cal had spent time getting to know the residents, finding out their stories, finding out how they had ended up in Atlantis, who they lost during the fall. Cal had made friends with some of the other kids who lived there, although they were slightly older than him, they allowed him to join in most of their games. The older residents loved him and would often call him over to tell him stories of the old days of when they were his age and he would listen intently every single time. Danny was given a job role, as promised by the sergeant. She was tasked with taking stock of everything they had in the camp. Food, bedding, store goods and medicines. She would have to go from building to building with a clipboard, counting every single piece of stock. While the job was incredibly tedious, she got through each day by talking to the other people in the team that were tasked with the same job. She would go to the armory where she would have to check the stock of weapons, guns and ammunition. While she was there, Pete would often show her how to use a gun, get the feel for it so if the time ever came she would know what to do. They had been spending a lot of time together, getting on well, often coming up with excuses to train just so they could see each other, and they were often seen joking and laughing with one another. She liked it as he managed to get her to forget what was happening beyond the gate. Their life in Bristol was a distant memory to the siblings since everything had all changed so much in a few weeks. As well as the one-to-one -one training from Pete, Danny had been getting weapon training so she'd be able to defend herself in the situation. Just the basics from how to swing a bat effectively to loading and firing a handgun. These skills would come in useful in case she would ever need to go on a supply run. Food and medicines were her main concern, but she had started learning how to manage the ammunition for the rifles and the handguns that they had on site, but they were in short supply. Ammunitions were running low. 
Danny had heard about a group of scouts who had gone out scavenging for supplies and had happened across a few caches of potential stock and wanted to send out a team on a supply run. In order to do this, Pete would need to convince the sergeant to allow him to take a team out to find the supplies, something that Danny knew he was nervous about. He didn't like speaking to the sergeant. He didn't trust him. After he found out the information about the wall, Pete felt that O'Connell was keeping something from the community, and that wasn't right. With nerves clawing every fibre of his being, Pete gathered his team and went to the barracks to get permission for the trip. The team consisted of Abbott, an older soldier who Danny recognised from the flat a few weeks prior. He looked to be in his early 60s, was balding with a large scar down his face, his right eye covered with a black eye patch, which Cal commented made him look like a pirate, an image that Danny couldn't get out of her head. Often she would add a little parrot in a peg leg and laugh to herself. She hadn't really spoken to him in her time in Atlantis. She found that he was noticeably quiet and tended to keep himself to himself. There was something about him that she didn't like. Maybe it was the way he looked at her. Maybe it was the way that he didn't really have a conversation with her. Despite trying whenever she saw him in the pub or in and around the community, Joining Abbott was a large mountain of a man that people called Roach. He had a large, bushy ginger beard which cascaded down his chest. His balding head was covered in Celtic tattoos, and he reminded her of a strong Viking. Although he looked terrifying, he was sweet, Danny thought. He and Cal had a father-son sort of relationship, with Roach reading to Cal before bedtime. Danny would find Cal asleep in his arms as she returned from training and often would find Roach asleep in the chair, but he would never admit it. Standing next to Roach was a tall, stern-looking woman whose brown hair was slicked back into a tight bun. Danny knew her name to be Beth, but had not really spent much time with her or really spoke to her. She didn't really speak to anyone, except from Abbott. Maybe that's why she didn't take a liking to her. And Stevenson was next to her, and Pete was up front. Sergeant O'Connell was standing over his desk with his large hands resting on it, a cigar hanging out of his mouth. The haze of stale smoke still hung in the air, stinging the eyes of anyone who was in the room. He was staring intently at a crumpled map of Edinburgh. From the angle that Danny was standing, she could see red circles on the map, but couldn't quite make out where they were. After a few minutes of silence, O'Connell looked up and stared at the group. Look, Peter, you called this meeting. I, I haven't got time. Well, what was this all about? Well, sir, our scouts found some information which could benefit the community, and I think it is too good an opportunity to pass up. You've brought me what? A, a crumpled piece of paper with, with circles on it. What is it? Some sort of map? Well, our scouts have found these reserves, sir. We think these reserves could hold supplies. Supplies that we need. We just need to go and find out. Oh, for God's sake. I'm not going to send my people out on a wild goose chase on, on a hunch. Those caches either have supplies on them or they don't. Which one is it? We all do respect, sir. Our scouts are good at their jobs and they won't give us the intel if it were no accurate. You speak out of turn. You ask permission to speak. Do you forget your place? Fine. You can take your team, and uh, Pete, take Cunningham with you too. I'm tired of having her hanging around you like a lovesick puppy. It's enough for one to bring up one's dinner. Hold on a minute! Leave it. It's no worth it. Come on. Yes, sir. We will leave within the next hour, and I'll keep you updated. Yet you are still here. 
Get out of my office. Abbott, a moment, please. Sir. I can trust you, can't I? Yes, sir. 100%, sir. I have an assignment for you. I need you to find something for me. Something of, 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 of great importance. And I need it found, no matter what happens. Is that understood? Hmm. What am I looking for? This is classified, and it must stay only between you and me. Am I clear? Yes, sir. It's a hard drive. When the First Minister left Holyrood, she left with a hard drive containing information. I need that information. What information, Sarge? You don't need to know all the details. All you need to know is that I need that hard drive. So, where is this hard drive? It was my understanding that the First Minister was going to London, but something happened and it resulted in a helicopter crashing. How, I don't know, and quite frankly, I don't really give a shit. All I do know is that I have to get my hands on that hard drive. Sir, chances are it got destroyed in the crash. Would have been a fucking fireball. It's probably not even there. Apparently, it's in a bomb-proof sealed box or something. It must have survived the crash. You must find it, and when you do, you must radio me to let me know you've got it in your possession. We need that hard drive before someone else gets their hands on it. I must get it back to London. If I find it. And that is a big if, sir. What then? Listen, Downing Street have tasked me with getting this done. That's why I'm here. That's why I was posted in Edinburgh. I must get this information. Otherwise, it's my head on the fucking block. If you're able to get this done, Abbott... You will leave with me. You have an opportunity here to survive this. Do you understand that? An opportunity to get out of this horrendous mess. I can personally make sure that that whatever happens, as soon as we have that hard drive, you will leave with me and be safe. Yes, sir. Quick question, though. What if I'm not the one who finds it, sir? give a shit, but I'll let your imagination run wild on that one, Abbott. <laughs> Either way, I need that hard drive by any means necessary. <laughs> yes, sir. Abbott, by any means necessary. Abbott stepped out of the barracks and into the drizzle, the cold October air whipping around him. He took a deep breath of the crisp air filling his lungs. He raised a cigarette to his lips, struck a match and lit the end, taking a deep drag, blowing out the smoke into the night. For the first time since the fall, he looked up into the black sky and through a break in the clouds saw bright stars staring back down at him. A reminder that although his world had turned upside down, he was still just a little speck within a massive universe. He snorted at the thought and took another drag, walking over to the group who had gathered at the gate, waiting to face the horrors that lay in wait beyond the safety of the gate of Atlantis, the city in the middle of a sea of shit. The Fallen, an Eerie Earth production, written and directed by Kira Begg, starring Saxon Davids as Pete Kirkman, Megan Chase as Danny Cunningham, Jay Platt as Stevenson, Rick Oldroyd as Abbott, and Kira Begg as Sergeant O'Connell. For more information on The Fallen, be sure to head over to eerieearth.com. Thanks very much for listening.